there. Welcome to You're Doing Fine, Oklahoma, where we explore mysteries, hauntings, and family secrets from the great state of Oklahoma and beyond. I'm Shy. And I'm Shanna. We're wannabe mystery solvers and cousins that love to hash out our favorite whodunits during family time. Our husbands are afraid of us, as As they they should be. be. Okay, here we go. I'm so excited to do this on our new equipment. I know. I know. Killing it. We're trying. Okay. Do you have any pod business for this week? I do not. Okay. No, do you? I motion that the pod business meeting be adjourned. Second that motion. And we move on to true crime. Okay. Okay. So... My story that I'm doing today was sent to me by one of our first 14 listeners. Yes. And it was so fucking bananas. Okay. That I just immediately started researching it and writing a Word doc on it. So you you just dove right in. Yeah. Dove right into that word doc. Yeah. Yeah. Started clipping some fucking articles from newspapers.com and shit like that. Nice. Because we're going way back. Oh. How far back are we going? We're going back to 1960. Ooh. Yeah, that's that's a ways back, Shan. Way before our time. Yeah. Super before our time. Mm -hmm. So women were still wearing slips. Dear God. God love him. And it's it's like so there's so many things in these articles that were like old timey that I was like, oh, that's cute. Mm-hmm. I loved it. Like what? Um, just the way that they called certain things certain things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just different. I'll I'll share some that I found with you because okay. I notated them on my word doc. <laughs> Proud of you. <laughs> Okay, this one, like I said, from 1960. Okay. It is from the little town of Colony, Oklahoma. Where the hell is Colony, Oklahoma? I'm so glad you asked, Shy. It is just south of Weatherford. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. It's tiny. I'll tell you all about it here in just a moment. Please do. So... Let's do the biographical history first. Okay. I'm ready. So we are talking about a woman named Patricia Davis, who was murdered in 1960. Okay. Okay. She was born Patricia Louise Engel, and she was born June 3rd, 1939, and raised in Godabo. Oklahoma. Oh, Godabo. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which also near Weatherford. Also, I've heard of that one. Just don't. Yeah, I didn't know where it was. Okay. When we were in, this may have been before your time, but by the time I got to high school, we had become a class C 
sports. We played class C sports. Okay. C is in cat. Thank you. I don't still don't know what that means, but go. I think during your time, we were still like class A or class B. Probably. Because we had a bigger school. But by my time, we were class C mm-hmm. and we played against a school that was a consolidated school called Mountain View Go to Bow. Okay. I've, ha- I've heard of that. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just out there in Western Oklahoma. Just a little... Just tiny little Oklahoma town. Little town. Okay. Her parents, the parents of Patricia, were Hazel and Harvey Engel. And Patricia was one of three girls in the family. Okay. Her mother, Hazel, was a school teacher, which is fun. And in 1957, Patricia marries a man named James Bruce Davis. Okay. And he goes by Jim. How old was she when she got married, did it say? She's basically barely 18. Okay. So I thought. I mean, just a hair over 18. And at that time, Jim is 20. So he's just a couple years older than her. Okay. And I feel like that was pretty normal Mm -hmm. back then, right? Yeah. So both Jim and Pat, her family calls her Pat, are students at Southwestern in Weatherford. Nice. Which, again... Western Mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Yep. Went to school there for a hot second. Yep. So within their first year of marriage, they get pregnant. Of course. Because it's 1960. And that's how things went. Yep. That's what was expected of you. Yep. And in October of 1958, they have a little girl named Carrie. Okay. Okay. Cute. At this point... Jim is sort of to the point in his schooling where he's finishing up a teaching degree and looking for a long-term employment. Okay. So they're kind of moving out into the real world, getting away from college and all that jazz. So in 1959, in August, he starts his job as a coach and teacher in Colony. Okay, so... I mean, they stayed in the same area. Yeah, yeah. And he specifically is a basketball coach. Okay. So, go sports balls. (laughs) Yay. At the time of 1960, Colony is reported to be about 500 people. Oh, they had a basketball team with 500 people? And a school. And a school, yeah. Yeah. Like a whole functioning school. So it was half the town children? They must have been bringing in people from other surrounding small towns. Probably. Right? I guess. I, I don't know. know. I don't know how that. But back then, people had multiple children. Yeah. So it makes sense that more than half the town could have been. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, that's fair. Just saying. That's super fair. So... The location of Colony is ideal because Pat is still working on finishing her teaching degree. Okay. She's wanting to be a music teacher. Nice. And her family is very close in the nearby town of Godabo. Right. So they have this baby. She's still finishing a degree. He's working as a teacher and a coach. Okay. Okay. She is very, very active at Southwestern. And, like, sets on committees for the music department and things like that. Nice. She's very active in, like, music educators club and 
musical shit. Yeah. She liked the music. That's yeah. awesome. So they have a little apartment in Colony that's like, one report said four rooms, basically, okay. which means like four total rooms. Right. Like two bedrooms, like a living room and a bathroom, probably. Yeah. Basically. And it. a kitchen. Yeah. A little kitchenette, probably. Yeah. But it's right off the school campus, so Jim can walk back and forth. Oh, nice. Okay. And by all accounts, they were well-liked in the community of Colony. Um, Jim is well-liked at the school. He's a young, young teacher and coach. Oh. And they have a little baby, so... Every event they go to, people love to fawn over their little baby and right. all that jazz. Mm-hmm. In the winter of late 1959, so this is literally three, you know, two, three months after he starts his job right. in August 1959. Mm-hmm. Jim is in charge of the basketball program. Like, so he's in charge of the boys basketball. He's in charge of taking care of the gym, all of that. Yeah. That that entails athletic director basically. Yeah. But he's 20, 21. Oh yeah. Something like that. Cause that makes sense. Why not? Um, February 5th, 1960 is a Friday night. Okay. In the big town of Colony. There are basketball games scheduled for the high school between Arapahoe and Colony. Nice. So, just small towns dueling it out on the court. It's a big deal in small towns, basketball, and all the sports balls are big deals in small towns in Oklahoma. And there's truly nothing else to do on a Friday night. There really isn't. So, you might as well go hang out at whatever sports ball game is happening. Yeah. Right? It's true. So Jim is responsible for coordinating the gymnasium being open and lighted and getting the teams ready to play and the scorekeepers and all that nonsense. So at about 6.45 p.m. that night, Jim walks to the school gymnasium with his neighbor. He opens up the gym and gets everything ready for the basketball games. Okay. The games are proceeding as normal. But Jim notices that his wife hasn't arrived yet for the game with their daughter. Um, this is not going to be good. It's Kay. not. Typically, Pat is there with their daughter. And like I said, everybody loves to play with the baby and mm-hmm. fawn over the baby. And yeah, you know, all that gossip with the girls. And uh, yeah, of course. What not? All the moms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. At this point, she's only 20 years old. So she's really not much older than the high school girls that are hanging around the high school. Right. And other young moms. So at about 9.30 p.m., Jim flags down a couple of female students and sends them over to his apartment to check on Pat to see if she's planning on coming to the game. Oh, no. Okay. High school students. Yeah. It's okay. it's two 16-year-old girls named Linda Darlene C. and Donna Faye Brooks. Okay. Okay. Linda and or Donna. Brooks. Okay. So they literally go to the apartment and walk into like a horror scene. Oh, shit. Those poor kids. Yeah. 
cat is laying on the floor in the living room in a pool of her own blood. Mm-mm. She was wearing only a bra and underwear and a half slip. And it was a scene. Like lots of. Lots of yeah, blood. Lots of blood. Lots of carnage. Oh, no. So the two girls who are 16 at the time nope it the fuck out of there. Of course they do. And go back to the gym. And they're like, uh, hey, bro, um, your wife is like at least seriously injured. Like some shit has gone down. You need to get your life together. Oh, no. Yeah. So he notifies the scorekeepers and the officials of the game that he has to take a brief pause. Um. And uh, went and called the police. I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And there's no local police in the city of Colony. So it's all like county sheriff's department. Okay. So they call the county sheriff. And he goes over to the apartment to wait for the sheriff to get there. So if you're invested in this outcome of the game between Arapaho and colony, it's canceled. Okay. I mean, I was really concerned just so you know. Yeah. So when the sheriff deputies get there, Pat is on the floor of the apartment. She is dead. Mm-mm. And their 18-month-old baby is sleeping in her crib in the next room. Completely unharmed. Just, okay, that's good. Completely unharmed. That's good. Pat's watch had stopped at 825. Okay. Okay. The bedroom appeared to have been ransacked. And the drawers were pulled out. And there were some items in disarray. But the police quickly ruled out robbery as a motive when it was found that only $40 was unaccounted for in the home. And there were other things of value that, you know, remained. So. He. Consents. Jim consents to a partial autopsy. Of what, his wife. What does that mean? I don't know. Does that just mean there's no... I don't, what did they do in 1960 for autopsies? I mean... Like, it wouldn't, wouldn't be like... Well, could it have been like a... Like, blood work? And I don't know. What is a partial autopsy I in 1960? Know. I don't know. And that's what was in the paper, is like a partial autopsy? Because all of this information is from old newspapers. All of it. Okay. So I have no idea what a partial autopsy is. If anybody knows, let us know. Please. Hit it. Slide into our DMs. <laughs> um, during the autopsy, they found that she was stabbed six times Oy. by a small knife mm. and had multiple skull fractures. Fuck. From a blunt object. And she was stabbed in the back six times. Oh, my gosh. She was also found to have two fingers broken on her right hand. So they were like, she put up a hell of a fight. Right. And during the autopsy, the physician found that any one of the stab wounds or blows to the head 
could have been fatal. Well, no shit. It wasn't just like... One did it and the rest was just... Or all six in conglomeration did it. Like, any one of them could have been fatal. Um, Okay. Yeah. That's confusing to me. Yeah. So, it was overkill, essentially. Right. Which suggests... That the husband did it. (laughs) That she had some relationship with her attacker, right? Yes. Or someone just really hated her. Yeah, but how can you hate someone if you don't know him? Um, well, if you're having an affair with her husband. Mm. Just saying. Hmm. Interesting. All okay. The, all the theories. Okay. I love I love it. <laughs> um so the day after the murder, a knife handle had been found about 200 yards from the Davis's apartment. Okay. And could have fit with a set in the kitchen. But there was no blood on it, and it was missing its blade. That's weird. Yeah. So they were unable to determine if it was the murder weapon. Okay. Okay. And I forgot to mention, during this partial autopsy, they determined that she had not been raped. Or as they put it in sexually, in 1960, sexually molested. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. So it was another woman. I mean, who knows? (laughs) (laughs) These are my theories. Okay. Keep them coming. I love it. Okay. So rape and robbery are quickly ruled out. Got it. As motivating factors. Got it. And the police, the local sheriff, and OSBI agents start looking for the actual murder weapons. So one of the old-timey things that I thought was really cute Mm -hmm. is the OSBI, Oklahoma State Bureau of Investigation, as we know it today, was not enacted yet. So they refer to it as the Crime Bureau. Oh, nice. Okay, let's let's start referring to OSBI as the Crime Bureau again. I thought that was really cute. Just on our podcast. I think it's adorable. Yes, me too. So they brought in people from the Crime Bureau. Love it. To canvas neighborhoods, look for witnesses. They were also looking for evidence and testing blood and shit like that. Whatever you could do in 1960. Yeah, I like, mean, blood typing, maybe? Yes. That's probably about it. Yeah. Just and, leg work. It was like... Yeah, it's all leg work. Feet to the ground, like, just start walking the area and asking questions back then, right? Like, yeah, basically. Yeah. So, they were working with what they knew that Jim had left at about 645. Mm-hmm. And that her watch stopped at 825. So they believed that her murder occurred somewhere between 7 p.m. and 9 p.m. And they were looking for witnesses that were around the apartment building during this time. So, Which I feel like that would be a lot of people if your apartment building is right across the street from a school that is about to have a basketball game. You would be right, except that you forget you're in a small town and everybody's in that fucking basketball game that started at 7 p.m. 
Right. But if it happened, yeah. True. You know what I mean? There's got to be the rand. Man, I don't know. So they're questioning neighbors and they're saying, hey, where were you between 7 and 9 p.m. on this night? And they're like, uh, we were at the fucking basketball game. Yeah. Watching the basketball game. And the couple of people that weren't at the basketball game were like, we didn't hear anything weird during yeah. that time frame. Okay. Okay. So they're like, well, fuck. I'm like, I feel like that's a really good alibi, too, for anyone in that town. If you're known that everyone goes to a basketball game, you could just say I was at the basketball game. I guess people would have to. But but also, it's a small town. And if you weren't at that fucking basketball game, somebody would be like, no, they weren't. Would, would be like, Shy was nowhere near this basketball game. She doesn't even like sports balls. <laughs> sports balls. She doesn't give a shit about sports balls. So... There were a shit ton of news articles about this. Oh, my gosh. For a small town murder, it was well covered. Nice. It was like aggressively well covered. Nice. And I was not sad about it. (laughs) Anyway, all of the articles mention a similar murder of a woman named Fern Romero which just happened a couple months prior to to Pat's death. Fern was the wife of an army captain in Lawton. I'm sorry, did you just say Lawton? Yeah. So Lawton was doing Lawton shit clear back in 1960. Dear Lord. Yeah. So apparently Fern had been uh, murdered in her home in Lawton, which is about 50 minutes away from Colony. Right. Her throat was slit and she was raped. So I guess it was similar in the sense that it was a married woman who was killed in her own home. That's what I'm going to say. Like, none of that matches. Yeah, none of it's that just tracks. Was she also 20 years old? Is I that mean, the probably. only thing they can tie him together is that it was a married woman that was in her 20s and murdered? Right. I'm sure there was a lot more people. <laughs> Good Lord. But I mean, it was also 1960 and they were like, but what else? What other substance do women have? going for him this is just a girl that was married Mm. what else is there to mash up yeah (laughs) because if she wasn't married it should be like unmarried woman yeah unmarried slutty slutty lady (laughs) got what came to her probably um anyway so it seems like they kind of stayed on that track for like a second and then they were like wait yeah there's nothing that Matches here. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. So. (laughs) There were also a ton of articles interviewing various women in the town of Colony, which there were probably 20, I would guess. Right. With a total population of 500. Yeah. 20 women that had 5 million children. Yeah. And every article was basically like, well, got to start locking my doors. (laughs) <laughs> oh to live back oh wait i did i lived yeah, we, we did live in a we time, lived when we in a town where we didn't lock our doors or we didn't lock our doors um so everybody's like oh shit now i gotta start watching my kids and locking my doors who knew yeah it was weird um completely fucked up the whole town of colony damn it i know so sunday february 7th 
This is two days after the Friday night that she's murdered. Right. Pat's funeral service happens. Two days later? Yeah. Um, I don't know if that was normal back then. Okay, Jim. And your partial autopsy and your two days after her murder funeral. You're a little suspect to me right now. I don't know. I don't know if that was normal or not, but I was like, two days? Shit. How do you even notify people in two days? Well, when you're in a small town. Yeah, I guess everybody knows. Everybody knows. Spreads like wildfire. But I was like, damn, that's, I mean. I don't know. I feel like. Was that normal back then? I think, I think it might have been because I feel like funerals that I actually got to go to as a child were within a few days of a passing. Oh, okay. Wow. I mean, so it's maybe still like it was. the seven day mark. I don't know. It doesn't. It r- truly doesn't matter. But <laughs> her funeral was two days later, and I just thought that was fucking weird. I'm just trying to make Jim the guilty party here. It's super sus. Anyway, so the following day, which is a Monday, the sheriff was putting out a press release that was like, uh, we don't really have anything to go on. We kind of don't have any leads. Yeah, because the whole town was at a basketball game. Yeah. But, so he's, like, putting this shit out to the press. But then the same day, they're taking Jim to Oklahoma City to do a polygraph. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tell me. So, apparently, the results of the test were unsatisfactory due to his emotional state. Well, Which I can yes, see, right? True. That's probably a real thing. I'm sure. And the e- that evening after he got back to Colony, he went to a ne- the nearby town of Hobart where he grew up to stay the night with his parents. Okay. Okay? Yes. So the next morning at 5 a.m., he leaves Hobart and goes to Godabo, I assume to speak to her family. Probably. Okay. And from there goes to Weatherford, where he's taken into custody at 10 a.m. What? Yeah. In Weatherford. In Weatherford. At a motel. What? Okay. Yep. So. Okay. They're literally, like, taking him into custody at this motel. hmm And he confesses to killing his wife. Just. What? Just like, yeah, I did it. I told you. (laughs) (laughs) Called it. And they arraigned him that afternoon. What? Because they did not fuck around in 1960. Nope. At all. So just before his arraignment hearing, he was interviewed for a newscast, for a TV newscast. And he was asked what happened. And he just replied, I don't know everything for sure. I guess I blacked out when I killed her. The next thing I remember is throwing the bat away. I can only say we were very, very happy before. I'd give anything if she were back. What the fuck? Yeah. (sighs) So. The story 
of what happened mm-hmm. from Jim's mouth mm-hmm. goes like this. Please tell. Pat arrived home from Weatherford from her classes that Friday at 5 p.m. Okay. She had fixed dinner and they were talking when he hit her with a baseball bat in the head. So there there was no arguing. He just was overcome with the urge to beat his wife over the head. He said he says he strikes her several times mm-hmm. with the bat mm-hmm. and then stabbed her six times in the back with a kitchen paring knife. But why? He then states that he blacked out and can't remember. Uh, so what? at some point he becomes lucid again and drives a quarter mile east of Colony where he threw the bat out of the car into the weeds along the roadside. Mm -hmm. He stated that he could not remember where he put the knife blade, but the handle that was found was from the knife. Okay. This was only a few days later Mm -hmm. after all this happened. Mm -hmm. Did they drive out to that area and try to find the bat? Yeah, of course. Did they find it? Yeah. Oh, jeez. So... He said, by the time he's done doing all this driving around and, like, hiding evidence and all that jazz, it's 6.45 p.m. And he's like, oh, fuck, I got to go open the gym. So he goes back to the apartment, gets his gymnasium keys, and starts walking over like nothing happened, where his neighbor joined him and walked over with him. What a fucking freak. Yeah. What in the hell? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, and I'm like, where was your 18-month-old baby during all of this, mm-hmm. you fucking lunatic? By herself in her crib. Yeah. What mm-hmm. in the world? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay, he had to have been presenting some type of weird mental health issues before this happened. I don't... So... What in the world? I'm so confused. So just wait, it gets worse. Oh, God. Um, So he's giving all of this information, you know, to the investigators and all that jazz. The sheriff's deputies go out with him and he drives, they drive him to the spot where he says he throws the bat out. So they recover the bat. They, um, keep looking for like a knife blade, but he's like, I have no idea where. It is. And with all of his his ability to remember what he did, but not find like not find it in his brain what he did with this knife blade. Mm-hmm. His defense counsel is immediately like, well, he's obviously not sane. Right. Right? Right. So they ask a judge to commit him to a psychiatric institution okay for observation got it with their whole intent being that a psychiatrist from a mental institution will certify that he is not fit to stand trial essentially right okay okay so 
they don't get that response from he's sent to William S. Key from Western to Western State Hospital. Oh, wow. At William S. Key. They don't get that response from the doctors. They're like, no, he's he's completely lucid. He knew right from wrong at the time of the offense and he's able to stand trial. That was the standard. Okay. Okay. So they're going to have him stand trial. And a few months later, as the state is preparing their case, they're talking to witnesses. They're talking to all the people that were at the game that night. Of course, they're talking to the two girls that found the body, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Those poor babies. Okay. And one of the witnesses had some interesting information to convey. So a female student would <clears throat> later testify that she and Jim held hands and kissed a little. And it eventually got to the point where he told her that he loved her and wanted to marry her. Of course. Mm-hmm. I did not see that coming. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he, she also would testify that he said he would marry her, but Pat wouldn't agree to a divorce. So mm-hmm. he had to find other other means mm-hmm. to get Pat out of the picture. And it turns out this girl was one of the two girls that found her body. But, who was 16 at the time. That's gross, Jim. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. Yeah. I think she did it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Just. If he can't remember some things. I'm like, he's totally covering for her. Okay, I mean, that that's a theory, I guess, that we can try to roll with. There's all sorts of movies and TV shows made on that premise. You're not that wrong. That storyline. You're not so. wrong. I don't know if I would... Uh... <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't know if I would take my friend with me if I was going to kill somebody. No, I'm saying that she did it before. Oh, like at 5.45 p.m.? Or yeah, whenever. Between 7 and 9, while the game was going on, she walked over and killed her while he was coaching the basketball game. It makes sense, Shan. It makes sense. Like She walked over, was like, I got to get Pat out of the picture. Ew. Throws down with her because she put up a fight. And then walks back to the basketball game. Nine o'clock rolls around. Somebody, Jim has somebody, you know, or Jim has her and I guess a friend. Go look and, oh my God, she's so surprised that someone's dead. Yeah. It makes sense. It makes sense in my head. (laughs) Think about it. I, d- I respectfully she, disagree, but no, that's okay. She had plenty of motive, plenty of time. Mm, just saying. I don't know. From the newspaper articles, it just, it seemed like she wasn't that serious about it. Um, If you just murdered somebody, you'd act like you weren't that serious about it, too. Uh, <sighs> I mean, um, hey, listen. You know, I'm just saying. Listen. 
He can't remember where the knife is. He says he blacked out. Fucker, no, you didn't. Your girlfriend murdered your wife, and now you're trying to cover for her because she's only 16. And you're in love. (laughs) I'm just saying. Uh, Hey, you know what? You can roll with that theory if you want to. I'm totally going to. We will say that allegedly. Allegedly. May have happened. This is my story. I don't know about all that. Anyway. (laughs) Anyway. You like how my brain just went on that tangent? Jesus Christ. I should be a writer. I mean, she's basically a victim of like sexual assault, but. No, I 100% agree with that. She's completely a victim who was talked into murdering someone just like the Buttafuco. Is it Buttafuco? What was her? Um, Amy. Oh, do you know who I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. The guy fell in love with a 16 or 18 year old or whatever the fuck she was and went and tried to shoot his wife. Ugh. That whole story grosses me out, too. Mm hmm. But that's fine. So, listen. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I respectfully disagree. We can get back on track now. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Took that fork in the road. So, (laughs) he was supposed to start trial in, like, October of 1960. Okay. Okay. Before trial was able to start, mm-hmm. they requested a hearing to enter a plea. Okay. Okay. So at this point, people are like, what the fuck? You know? Yes. Because when he confessed, it was within three days of the murder. So, these people had known for six months or better that he killed her. Right. And he had confessed to the crime. Right. Allegedly. Right. (laughs) If it's true. Just saying. And people packed into this courtroom. Of course they did. It's a big scandal in town. All of the family members of Pat, all of the family members of Jim... And everybody else that's just interested in hearing the tea, right? All the original true crime junkies. Yeah. During this hearing, a psychiatrist would testify that he believed that Jim was affected by psychoneurosis. Do we know what that is? (laughs) No. Okay. I think, honestly, they tried to use it as like a blanket term of like... Very short-term psychosis. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. So, he's the psychiatrist said he was affected by psychoneurosis, and such a condition would permit a person to completely dissociate himself from an act of murder. The psychiatrist would go on to state that a person affected with this condition could have killed his wife without premeditations. No. (laughs) No. So, essentially, they had charged him with first-degree murder, which is a premeditated murder. Right. Right. 
And the psychiatrist was saying, well, in my opinion, he's afflicted with this. Neuroses. Psychoneurosis. And he could just turn on a dime and kill without premeditation. Well, that's terrifying. <laughs> Agree. Agree. What the hell? Um, so, in light of that information, the DA's office had Jim sign a plea agreement wherein he agreed to plead guilty to first-degree manslaughter. No. <laughs> Sorry. What? Manslaughter. Can you explain what the difference between first-degree murder and first-degree manslaughter is? Well, first-degree murder is a premeditated. Is typically premeditated right. murder. Manslaughter. That's a heinous crime. First-degree implies pre-med- premeditation. So if it's manslaughter and it's first-degree manslaughter, it's, it's still premeditated. It typically means there wasn't an intent. There wasn't an intent to kill. Yeah. So you could have planned on beating the shit out of your wife, but she ended up dying. <laughs> and that's where in the manslaughter comes from. It, because I feel like if you hit somebody over the head with a bat and then stab them six times, um, and then expect them to live from that, <laughs> I don't think there's manslaughter there. I think that's murder. I murder Shan. I agree. Totally agree. And I think they went with uh the manslaughter angle. Because I think they thought if they took it to trial and this psychiatrist testified, there was a potential of him being found not guilty due to uh, temporary insanity or something like that. Oh, my Lord. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think the DA took what they could get Mm -hmm. and tried to roll with it. And they did. So the judge accepted the plea agreement. And a sentencing hearing was held, like, 12 minutes later. (laughs) Okay. Because they did not fuck around in 1960. They didn't have a whole docket full of murders in in Colony at that time? (laughs) And he was sentenced, Jim Davis was sentenced to a life term in the Oklahoma State Penitentiary at McAllister. Okay. So, from what I can find on his prison uh, service... He served his sentence from October of 1960, like literally when he walked out of that courtroom, to about 1975. Okay. So they paroled him after like 15 years. And as of his mother's obituary in 2007, he was living in Las Vegas. Living la vida loca. I mean... What? So he okay. So, so he's ins- out and free. Ew. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, okay. Yeah. Messing with the table. Sorry. Um. Gross. Yeah. So I'd love to know what his um if he had any other crimes. If he committed any other crimes. 
I can't Vegas. find anything about him in Las Vegas, but his name is so fucking common mm-hmm. that, like, yeah, I mean, he could be doing shit all over the place, and I would have no idea how to, yeah, like, make it be just him. You know what I mean? Yeah, because he apparently goes by a couple of, uh, like his name is James. Okay, James Bruce Davis. But sometimes he goes by Jim, sometimes he goes by Jimmy, sometimes he goes by uh, James E. Mm-hmm. Davis, like stuff like that. Jim Bob. I mean, <laughs> I I don't know about all that, but. <laughs> Jimmy boy. Yeah. He has a couple of different, like, styles of his AKAs. name that he goes by. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as far as I know, he's still alive and kicking weird that would make him how old uh he would have been born in 37 so he would be like 85 at this point ew yeah okay yeah uh, that was that story was fucked up yeah and you know how i told you that um pat's mom was a school teacher Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. from what i could glean from information that i found about her and their family um i think after pat died she actually went back to school and got her teaching degree and became a teacher and wound up teaching for like 17 more years nice yeah so i thought that was really cool yeah because at that point she was probably in her 40s right and went back to school at southwestern and the same school that pat was attending and that's awesome. Got her teacher's degree and everything like that. Carried on what her daughter was wanting to do. Yeah. That's sweet. Yeah. Oh, yep. God. So it was rough, but I was like, how the fuck have I never heard of this? Yeah, no, right? Because that is some small town shit. That's some small town crazy shit. Because you know if something like that would have happened in our hometown, it would have been like all all the stories for years yeah and that's i mean there were so many news stories about it that mm-hmm. i was like i think if it would have gone to trial it would have been really sensationalized right Agreed. and there were just so many news stories about it i was shocked because usually those small town you know even today small town murders like that don't get much press coverage but Right. It they were spilling all of the tea. That's awesome. In colony. I love that. Way to go, colony. All of it. <laughs> so I love that, that is the story of the murder of Patricia Ingle Davis. That was that was really messed up. Mm-hmm. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but well done, Shan. Thank you. Well done. Thanks, Shy. Thanks, Shan. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this episode or you're just really optimistic that we'll only get better from here, like, subscribe, follow You're Doing Fine Oklahoma on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at You're Doing Fine OK Pod. That's you are underscore doing underscore fine underscore OK underscore pod.